teachers don't get the respect that they deserve. And one of my favorite quotes is that it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men, uh, which is why today we're interviewing Iris Nevins, who's not just a teacher turned software engineer, but she is an organizer fighting for social justice. Um, I was looking at Twitter the other day. And a quote jumped out to me that said that teaching young people to be technology creators instead of consumers is just as revolutionary as fighting to change unjust policies. And today we're going to learn a little bit more about um, why Iris decided to become a software engineer and take her teaching skills to um, share it with other people and how she was able to create a plan and a formula that you all can follow so you all can follow a similar similar path. Um, if you all have not joined yet, make sure you check out the webinars that we host to give you an overview about tech, um, where we can teach you how to learn how to code and become a software engineer in less than 12 months. And that's breaking into startups.com slash webinar. Um, and you're going to learn more, um, not just about how to become a software engineer, but why Iris decided to join MailChimp and a little bit about MailChimp's history and the fact that they have an Oakland office and all kinds of other things. Um, if you have not joined our Facebook group, please join it, um, like our page, leave a review on iTunes, tell your friends about this. And again, I think it's very important for people to actively listen to the podcast and not passively listen. Make sure you reach out to Iris and other people on the podcast, put their advice into practice. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Arthur, Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah. So we usually say we're excited to speak to our guests and we're excited to speak to all of our guests. But today I'm especially excited to share the story of someone who is not just a guest, but also a friend. And I'm feeling a little bit emotional right now, but I would say it's a feeling of a teacher watching their student graduate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to share her story with all of you. So Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah. I mean, emotional is an understatement. You know, I know you said it's like a teacher feeling like their student graduating, but she's also a teacher herself. I mean, it feels really good to be in the room with another podcaster. She's, we're here with Iris Nevins, who is the co-host of Organize, but she's also an engineer at a company called MailChimp, which is close to us because we're from Atlanta. So if you're watching the video, which we now have video, so shout out to A-Heroes, forgive the Chicago over everything shirt, even though I still have love for Chicago. And we're going to demystify a few things about MailChimp, talk about how she got in there, how they don't just have an Atlanta presence. We're going to talk about her history as an activist, as an organizer, as a leader, and it's going to be a really exciting episode. So if you haven't checked out her podcast, go to SoundCloud. But before, why don't we just say welcome, Iris. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So you know, why don't we start off by talking about MailChimp and you know what does MailChimp do? What does an engineer at MailChimp do? And how did you get this job? Okay, before I talk about MailChimp, I just want to say I think it's so cool that I'm on the podcast right now because when I first started listening a year and a half ago, I just kind of like envisioned myself one day sitting here having this conversation with you. So this things is really are coming awesome. full circle. I love it. I love it. Love the, it. 
think my mom said like a, a, a goal without a plan is just a wish or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, but and you had a true. goal to break in and you yeah. knew if you broke in, you would make it to our podcast. Yeah. Uh, we're yeah. going to talk about how yeah. you made that plan in a second. But yeah, so MailChimp. So MailChimp. Wait, what was the original question? <laughs> yeah, so tell us about Mail- MailChimp. Like, what's, what's MailChimp? What does an engineer do here? And yeah. How did you get the job? So MailChimp is a marketing automation platform. Yeah. We started off focused primarily on email. Yeah. So email marketing. A lot of the emails that you get from different companies, you probably don't realize that they're actually using MailChimp. And MailChimp is starting to branch off into other forms of marketing as well. And we, we, our mission is to help small business owners grow and essentially be able to compete with larger, wealthy corporations. Yeah. And I think something that's interesting about MailChimp is their startup, but did they raise venture capital money or not raise venture no, capital No, they money? didn't. And actually, MailChimp is no longer a startup. MailChimp is 17 years old. Wow. Yes. That's that's very interesting. MailChimp has been around for a while. (laughs) Flex. Yeah. What's really interesting is they started off a little bit different. Uh So they didn't, they weren't a email. They didn't go into what they do now right away. It's been a very slow uphill, I think, journey for MailChimp. And the majority of growth has happened in the last, I believe, three years. Interesting. Interesting. And so like for the people that thought that they were only in Atlanta, I know you all started this Oakland office. Are you all in uh, any other areas or if this is your main focus, like why did you guys decide to go to Oakland? Yeah. So MailChimp has our headquarters in Atlanta. The company as a whole is, I think we just hit over 800 people. And a year ago, they decided to open satellite offices in Oakland and Brooklyn. And the idea was that they wanted to be able to tap into other talent pools mm-hmm. that were outside of Atlanta. So that's how they found you. Super yes. talented, exactly. not in Atlanta, but you have ties to the South. Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. And actually, I, I hope to move to Atlanta one day. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. And when it comes to MailChimp, for those of you who never heard, MailChimp powers like newsletter lists that you get. So they, you can customize email templates and it sounds like something simple to do, but there are 800 people building it. So Iris, uh, can you describe the types of roles and the types of, I guess, initiatives that go behind the scenes to create something like Mail- MailChimp happen? Yeah. So, I mean, you have, you have the engineering team, you also have marketing. We don't have a sales team, which is we've been able to accomplish what we have without having a sales team. There's also like legal and, and all of that. And, but what, within engineering, most of the teams are split up based on like a feature or like a portion of the application. So you have like automations, for example, you have landing pages. You also have teams that work on the operations side, mm-hmm. which is more like infrastructure focused. Um, you have teams that focus on literally just the send process because we send over a billion emails a day. That's crazy. Yes. A billion a day? A billion emails wow, a day. Wow, we're talking about a helping a billion people in 10 years. A billion a day, that's that's impressive. So, you know, there's a lot, when you're dealing with that amount of communication, yeah. you know, the efficiency of your code is, is really important. Got it. So that's super interesting. And so, you know, you all are hiring engineers and you all are broken down by teams. I know you graduated from a coding bootcamp. We're going to talk about that later. But how did you, you know, get the job at MailChimp? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is when I applied to MailChimp, I thought that they were just like a backup, like they were a practice company. Uh-huh. 
So they were one of the first companies that I I applied to. I saw their posting on, I believe, like Greenhouse or something like that. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to practice with them and, you know, and use this to apply to other companies that I really want to work at. Uh So I sent in my application and then I found a recruiter or the head of talent at MailChimp on LinkedIn. Uh And I messaged them and I said, hey, like I applied, you know, here's a little bit about me. You know, could you put me in touch with someone who would be like directly, you know, responsible for my process? So they put me in touch with the recruiter for the Oakland office yep. and her and I spoke on the phone. And at that time, there were only three people in this office. Yeah. And so we spoke on the phone and she was like, look, you know, we're not we're not thinking of hiring junior engineers right now. Like we're not necessarily in a position where where we, we think we're prepared for that. Yeah. But I really like your story. There's something about you. So let me go talk to our senior director and see what he says. Interesting. Do you remember what you told them your story was? I mean, I told them the story that folks will hear tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll we'll come back to that just because like the not getting hired because you're a junior engineer is a common answer for a lot of people that are even graduated from college with a CS degree and they struggle telling their story properly and applying to a recruiter sounds like the standard process and that's a very typical story but your story is far far from typical so why don't we start um unpacking how mailchimp actually sparked your desire to get into coding back when you were in florida before we even met Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so funny because i didn't realize that mailchimp played a role in the very beginning of my journey until after i started working at mailchimp yeah so I'm going to do my best to be concise with this story. But essentially, I was teaching back in South Florida, and I was also helping to run a social justice organization called Black Lives Matter Alliance Broward, a.k.a. The Alliance. Okay. And I realized that we were were not being very effective or not being as effective as we had wanted to be. We didn't have any formal like systems or processes for bringing people in. So we weren't growing the way that we needed to grow. And so the work was just too much for the people who it was just a lot of strain, a lot of burnout. Yeah. I had proposed an initiative to implement a bunch of systems and processes to help change all of that. Yeah. And one of that, one of those things was an intake process for new people and kind of like a whole new like recruitment engagement process, which was actually very successful. Within about two months, we were able to double the size of our membership. Flex. And one of the, and so we doubled the size of our membership, which means that we eliminated one problem, but we created a new problem, which is like now, yeah, more work. (laughs) Now we have more people in our group, but now we also have a contact list of like a thousand people. And, you know, we have to reach out to all these people and, uh-huh. and um, we all have to track everyone that's in our organization currently or who's coming in. Yeah. And so one of the new recruits had suggested that we get a MailChimp account and use that to help automate the emails that we were sending out. Yeah. And also to make the emails more appealing and prettier and, you know, more likely for people to open them. But also MailChimp help does a lot to kind of like, Help you manage the flow. Help you manage the flow and tag like emails that bounce back and things like that. Otherwise, we would have to manually go in and like update emails that bounce and things. It was just a lot. Yeah. And she was also able to write 
a script that connected our contact database that was in Google Sheets and she connected it to MailChimp. Yeah. And this script made it so that both like the MailChimp list would update automatically once a week based on how we had updated the Google Sheets list and vice versa. That blew your mind. And this blew my mind. (laughs) Cause this also this eliminated a bunch of work. Yeah. That I was going away. Yeah. So I was (laughs) like, oh man, this is amazing. Yeah. So I was like so this was really kind of like the start. This yeah. is where the light bulb went off. And this is where I kind of realized the power of technology. Yeah. So from there, I continued looking for other applications that we could use to automate other processes. And some things I found were great. Some things were not enough. Yeah. And I was like, man, if only I could just build exactly what I needed yeah. for my organization. Yeah. And I wouldn't have to pay the, you know, this, exactly. this other, outsource this, the work. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll go back into like what you did with organizing what it stands for and the leadership with the Alliance later. But I think it's important to unpack this just because there's a lot of organizations that are doing really good work for the community, like nonprofits and just social justice organizations that want to be efficient, but don't realize that a lot of the work that they're doing is manual or repetitive and could be more efficient if they learn some of these principles that you started to get excited about. So absolutely. Yeah. And and through your work, you went to school and you met some people that introduced you to an alternative form of education. So, or just education. What, what, What was that? Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm realizing what technology like software is specifically, and I'm realizing what coding is because I didn't know, I wasn't familiar with those terms. I didn't grow up around tech. No one in my family is an engineer. None of my close friends are, are engineers. So I, it was like a foreign world to me. Yeah. So there was a friend that I had graduated college with. Her name is Blake. Shout out to Blake. And we had been catching up on the phone one day and she had mentioned that she did an engineering program. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like, oh, cool. But I had no idea what it, what it really was. Yeah. So that was like way back. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like interested in learning how to code. And I'm realizing that that program that she did is probably similar to what I would need. Yeah. So I called her and I told her my story and I asked her about the program she did. She broke it down. She explained what a boot camp was. She explained the whole setup. She explained what front end and back end is. And, and essentially I was like, this is exactly what I need to do. Yeah. Like I need to do this exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. So take us back to like that moment. So you're in Florida, right? You're working as a teacher and outside of work, you're running this organization and you realize that there's this whole other world of coding out there and coding boot camps. So take us back to that moment and like, what was that like? And when you had that realization, like what were some of the feelings you were going through and like concerns, like excitement, like shared with our, with our audience? I think the main emotion was definitely excitement. It was like a whole new world of opportunity and possibilities had been exposed to me. And so I just started reimagining everything, like reimagining the way that I would do activism, reimagining the way that I could live my life as a teacher. You know, our salaries are not very high. Mm -hmm. There isn't much opportunity for growth in terms of income. So it was like, man, not only is this a world where if I get into it, I can take the skills that I learn and help 
activists and help movements and help change the world. But I can also give myself a better life and yeah. give my family a better life. So yeah. I was just like, this is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but yeah. I'm, I want to figure yeah. it out. And I think a lot of people who find out about boot camps, they get excited. They start taking online courses and they give up. I think one of the main reasons comes down to time management. And it sounds like a, when you found out about coding boot camps, you already you had a full-time job being a teacher, which I'm sure you have to work late and you have to grade papers. Then you were running your own organization and now you want to learn how to code. So how do you manage that? And did you have to make any sacrifices? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot. And I, had, I did have to make a lot of sacrifices. I think one of the first things that I had to do was tell my friends, my family, and also my boyfriend that I wasn't going to be able to spend time with them for at least a period of time. You know, so my, you know, especially my, my partner, I think yeah. that was one of the hardest parts because I'd come home late and it's like, we haven't seen each other all day. Yeah. And instead of like hanging out and watching a TV show or cuddling or whatever, I'm like there on the laptop, yeah. like, you know, studying. Sacrifices. I had, I had to, you know, I, I couldn't go out with my friends as much or at, at all really. And, and also I had to save. Um, I had to develop this whole savings plan. And in developing the savings plan, I realized that I had no room to spend any money outside of like mm. necessities. So yeah. no going out, no buying drinks, no eating brunch, eating brunch, yeah. like no going out with friends <laughs> yeah. for dinner or yeah. brunch and things like that. Um, and other recreational activities. I had to cut it off. I to cut it all out. Yeah. And so when you were budgeting, like, so obviously there's tuition, but what, what other things were you budgeting for as well? Yeah. So you have to budget for housing. You have to budget for food, but also you have to budget for your bills. I have mm -hmm. a car. I have student loans. You know, I have a Netflix account. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah Netflix Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you have all these things that you can't just stop paying them because you mm -hmm. don't have a job. Yeah. So I had to say, OK, how much money do I need to go to a boot camp? And then how much money do I need? to pay my rent? And then how much money do I need to pay all of my bills? Mm -hmm. I had already gone through a period of economic instability where mm -hmm. I wasn't able to make all of my payments on time yeah. and it ruined my credit. And I had just gone through the process of working really hard to bring my credit back up. Yeah. And so I didn't want to go back to yeah. bad credit yeah. again. Yeah. And how many months did you budget for? I budgeted for... I believe I budgeted for a year. It yeah. was like a one-year plan. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. Personal runway, and, and like I know you, you mentioned that you know you had to speak with your loved ones about that the fact that you're going to disappear essentially and focus to make the sacrifice to give yourself more time in the future and essentially change everyone's life. But you know, did they believe you? Did they push back? Did they you know get upset about it? No, not at all. <laughs> my friends and my family were very supportive. Oh wow! My partner was very supportive. I think that my parents at first maybe were a little, I mean, they would, they would never say this, but yeah. I think they were a little skeptical because throughout my life, there have been different things that I wanted to do. And then I come up with like this big <laughs> idea and then, you know, I, I don't actually do it or like two weeks later, I changed my mind. So yeah. I think they were like, okay, let's see if she's actually serious about this. Yeah. But no, they, I, I think I, I had the privilege of having a very strong support group around me throughout that process. No one ever made me feel guilty for not being able to hang out. Like 
it was a really good yeah. situ- positive That's situation. Um, so a lot of people, I guess a lot of people have the vision, they get excited, but then a lot of people start out and start doubting that this is even possible. Because going from a teacher to becoming an engineer like that, it is a huge transition. So what made you believe that that was possible? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think self-esteem and believing in yourself is really important. And that is something that I had struggled with at times. And I had especially struggled with in college and right after I graduated. And so I had gone through a period of trying to figure out how to develop self-esteem again. And I, and honestly, I think going into teaching, which I was very good at, you know, I went into teaching, I was able to do better than a lot of other, a lot of teachers who had been teaching for 10, 15, 20 years as like a brand new teacher. And it was still challenging, but I was able to figure it out. And I think that, I think that finding something that I was good at and I was able to have success in gave me a certain level of self-esteem that allowed me to believe that I could take on even harder tasks. I think the other big thing was listening to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, which I started listening to around the, like shortly after I made my first draft of my one-year plan. And I think hearing the stories of people who've done exactly what I'm trying to do was very reinforcing because it made it very clear that this is not some sort of like, you know, magical, you know, it's it's not trying to make it to the NBA. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's a formula. If you follow the formula, yep. you will be successful. Facts. You will make it like yeah. there's no way that you won't. So I was like, I'm going to listen to all the advice that I can figure out what this formula is and then follow it. And that's, that's what I did. So you build yourself a roadmap because I remember there was a time when you posted in our group and you were actually one of the first people who started listening to the podcast and started being active in our group. You actually laid out a plan for like what you needed to do in terms of timeline, in terms of getting into the bootcamp. Can you kind of describe to our listeners what your plan was once you mm-hmm. started like taking steps towards the end goal? Yeah, yeah. So my plan was essentially a one-year plan. And I actually... I actually met that one year plan by, I was a little late, literally by like three weeks. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But that's how dope. Yeah. Yeah, It's really cool. So the plan was to spend a few months saving and studying. And then I had also, I had researched a bunch of boot camps, like, you know, put all of the, the info on different boot camps into like a spreadsheet, figured out which ones I was interested in, figured out what they're deadlines were for applications, what their uh, cost was. And I identified the ones that I wanted to apply to and the date that I needed to apply by. Yeah. So I knew, okay, I had, I knew that I needed to study from January to about March and that April I needed to start applying to programs so that I could get into a June-ish, June-July-ish program. Yeah. And then I knew that that program would take about three months it ended up taking four months, the, the program that I ended up doing, which is part of the reason why my plan had to be adjusted. But We'll um, talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I knew about three months for the program. And then I knew that the average job hunt was three months for people graduating from boot camps. Yep. Although actually I found out later that the average is closer to six months. Yep. Okay. But a lot of boot camps were kind of touting the three month number. Yeah. So I said, look, I'm going to be better than average. So yeah. I'm going to get a job before three months is yeah, over. So I set three, you know, three months of school, three months of job hunting and all of that together put me at a year. Yeah. 
So the goal was to have a job by January 2018. That's amazing. And, and you know, we always talk about how if you, if you fail a plan, plan to fail. And so you, you described how you started laying out all these boot camps in a spreadsheet, which is a common thing that people struggle with is identifying which boot camp to go to, which is why we're addressing that with Career Karma. But then, you know, at that time, and I remember when Timor and Archer were doing the same thing, trying to choose which boot camp to go into, there's a certain like bar that you have to achieve in order to get into these programs mm-hmm. and you have to prepare to get into these programs. And back then they didn't have prep courses like they do now. So like, what did you do in order to like start teaching yourself a bit to get a basic proficiency in a coding language? Did you know what a coding language was at the time? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know much. I kind of figured from my research that I needed to do HTML and CSS, that those were kind of like the basics. And I found a course. So I started doing HTML and CSS on Code Academy. Okay. And actually, one of the mistakes that I made earlier on was I, and I think I would have learned a lot more if I knew this. So I'm going to share this advice okay. is I was like, oh man, I'm going to take detailed notes. Uh-huh. So, so a four hour course would turn into 16 hours. Cause I'm Dang. like writing every single note that I, you know, and I never use those notes ever again. So it took me a while to actually get through the code Academy stuff. And then I got through it and I was like, mm, I feel like I still don't really know how to code. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know how to actually create. And that's a real. I think a lot of people, I think the expectation piece is critical because when you're taking tutorials, the first time through, you're not going to necessarily understand everything that's going on. And it usually takes a bunch of times going through the same tutorial over and over again for you to start gaining like mastery of a topic. What other tutorials or what else do you do in addition to that? Yeah. So the next course that I did, which was, I think, the key course was a Udemy kind of boot camp course. It was like a 40 hour course where they taught you HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And then how to like actually create a website, how to link it to a database, how to upload it to GitHub, like all of that. And so I think that's where I started to have a much better understanding. I think the Code Academy stuff was still helpful because it allowed me to cover the basics, but I shouldn't have taken all those notes. I should have just flown through it gotten like familiar with the concepts and then gone into a more intense like video online course. Yeah. So then, so then you, you felt like you were ready and you could start like applying to coding bootcamps. So like, you know, which coding bootcamp did you apply to? Why did you mm-hmm. apply to them? And you know, how did that go? Yeah. So initially I had only applied to Hack Reactor and Hackbrite actually. And I ended up having an interview with Hackbrite and they gave me a conditional acceptance and I decided to drop out of my process with Hack Reactor and focus just on on Hackbrite because it it was two different languages. And I was like, I don't have time to learn two different languages. So I focused on Hackbrite and they had given me some like supplemental coursework and had said, do this coursework. And then at the end, you'll do another coding coding challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll give you your final result. Yeah. The supplemental coursework was super easy. It was all stuff that I had already done. And it was like the basics of stuff that I had done. So I was like, there is no way I'm not going to pass this, this, the final coding challenge. Yeah. And it was coming up to the time for the program to start. So I ended up purchasing a ticket to California. I found housing. Um, I had quit my job and, and I did the coding, I did the coding challenge. And I thought that I had done fine. And I end up finding out about a week before the program starts and a few days before I'm supposed to fly out to California that 
I wasn't accepted. That's a scary moment. And like before going into, you know, what happened when you found out that you weren't accepted, but you quit everything and are on your way to California, you know, like San Francisco is an expensive place. Housing is hard to find. Let's unpack a little bit more about like how you found housing, you know, what the stakes were at the time and like why this was so alarming to you. Yeah. So I was terrified. I was terrified for a bunch of different reasons. One, I had actually found out about this right before a birthday slash going away party. It was an hour before people were supposed to come over to celebrate me leaving. So I'm like crying and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say to people. You know, this is just so embarrassing. I feel I feel stupid. But my best friend had come early and my partner was there and my mom was there and they really kind of counseled me. And, and initially, we actually almost we almost canceled the party. Wow. My friend actually sent out a message saying to cancel it. And then I spoke on the phone with my mom and she was like, no, she was like, don't cancel Shout that out thing. To Shout out to mom. My mom was like, look, you're going to make it to California. She was like, you're going to figure it out. You're going to get there. Have the party. Like, just know, like, it's going to work out. So she believed. Them. So, yeah. So we we set the party. We, you know, we had the party. And at the end, I kind of told people like things are up in the air. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But uh, when it comes to housing, I had listened to an episode that you guys did with Edeline Bobe, and I had loved her episode. And so I had messaged her like this is months earlier. I had messaged her on Instagram just to say how much I loved her episode and how inspiring her story was. And then when it was time for me to look for housing, I posted in the Breaking Into Startups group and she commented on my post and offered me housing. Wow. And then when everything fell through with Packbright and I wasn't sure what was going to happen, I reached out to her and she was very understanding. She was very flexible and she was like, look, just, you know, like we're here, like we're waiting for you. We're supporting you. Like figure out, you know, let us know when you can make it. Yeah, that's amazing. And so like, so shout out to Edeline, shout out to Rita, who was also on the podcast at the time as well, who Mm -hmm. you were living with. And I think, you know, you reached out to some people at that time. So like you didn't get accepted. You did move out here. And, you know, I think you got in touch with Timor to, I don't know how it happened, but there was something that we had to do in a week because like you were ready to start. And Absolutely. Yeah. I'll break it down. Yeah. Break (laughs) it down. So I think maybe like the day after the the party or something like that, I I messaged Timor and I think Timor, you could tell through our message messages that I was, was kind of freaking out. It was a long message. So you were like, Iris, let's just talk on the phone. Just, <laughs> so we ended up on the phone together and you were basically like, look, like things are going to happen on this journey, but you can still make it like you can still get through this journey you gave me some examples and you gave me like a story, um, you know, that that was very encouraging. And you were just like, look, even though you're going to make it past this bump in the road, there are going to be more that are going to come. Yeah. And you should just know that. And I think you mentioned that you had to um, move like seven times or something like that during. I think for me, it was just coming from uh, Ukraine to the States. Mm-hmm. And my parents didn't know English. They I think they came with like a thousand or two thousand dollars in the bank and they had two kids. And I think when I was speaking to you, I was like, Iris, you already live in this country. You've gone this far. You might as well just come out here and we'll figure out how to make it work. And uh, that's, uh, I think you took our advice and you actually came out. Yeah, no, you're, that conversation with you, I think was, was very important in helping me just push forward and keep going. Yeah. And I think once um, like we, I got off the phone with you, I want to give a shout out to Felix Flores yeah. from Yes We Code because immediately... 
Ruben and I reached out to Felix. Yep. And uh, Ruben, do you want to uh, share what Yes We Code do? Yes We Code essentially provides scholarships for mm-hmm. people that want to learn how to code. And I think at that time they had a $100 million scholarship for boot camps across yeah. the board. Um, it was started by Van Jones, I think. And then, yeah, so they, they had the opportunity. I think Tamir Walker leads things now and Felix is now an iMentor. And yeah. Yeah. Y'all put me in touch with, well, first of all, I told you I was interested in in applying to Dev Bootcamp, which I had actually learned about after I had decided which schools I was going to apply to. Yeah. So, and I thought to myself, man, this would have been a, a cool school for me to apply to. So once everything fell through with Hackbright, I told y'all I was interested in Dev Bootcamp. You guys reached out to some people at Dev Bootcamp and you also reached out to Felix. And Felix had already worked with Dev Bootcamp before, so that relationship was already there. Felix and I spoke on the phone and, you know, I explained the situation. He was like, look, I'm going to see what I can do to help you. We, you know, I'll look into scholarships. And ultimately, he was able to help me get a partial scholarship to Dev Bootcamp. And he was also able to help me get a stipend for after I graduated. And he was also able to pay the cost of rescheduling my flight. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And all of that happened in like a week. Yeah. And And you got accepted accepted into Dev Bootcamp in a week too, right? Yeah. 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 That's crazy. And I want to give another shout out to Lauren uh, Vang and um, Michael Walker. Yeah. Because they were running things at Dev Bootcamp at that time. And uh, immediately, like, they were the first people we went to. And I'm glad that it all worked out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were able to get accepted. So, you know, you got into this bootcamp. It's a kind of a nerve wracking experience for a lot of people. It's like moving to a new country to learn a new language. And so, you know, how did your plan or how did your imagination meet reality when you were there? Like, was it exactly how you imagined it or what did it feel like being inside of the boot camp? Yeah. So the boot camp experience was amazing in a lot of ways. I will say that I wasn't scared. I think that I we may not have time on the show to talk about my like childhood and other experiences, but I've had experiences where I have picked up and like left home and like gone into a program or gone to do something that I'd never done before with people I didn't know. Yeah. So having had that experience, I wasn't afraid of doing this new ex- thing. It was just, it was all very exciting to me. Yeah. And I was extremely focused. I could tell from listening to the podcast episodes that, you know, there was this formula that I mentioned before and that if I executed the formula well, that I would be able to be not only finish program, get a job, but finish a program, get a job quickly and get a good job, yeah. a well-paying job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what I was just, I was extremely focused on just carrying out that plan and yeah. working as hard as I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So take us back to the boot camp. I guess like the first day or the first week of being on campus, surrounded by other people who are learning how to code. What, what did that yeah. feel like? Man, it feels like so long ago. So Dev Bootcamp is set up a little bit differently. It's 18 weeks instead of the typical nine weeks. Yeah. And it's uh, split in half. So the first half is remote. And the second half is on campus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I moved out to California and started the program, I was in the first half of the boot camp, mm-hmm. which is basically online assignments. And also you you did have like pairing coding, pairing sessions that you did through like Google Hangouts with, yeah. with people. 
the hour like requirement was a lot less. It was like 20 to 30 hours a week. Yep. So it was, a, it was actually, I think, really helpful in helping you like kind of slowly get into the, the rhythm. get into the rhythm. Yeah. And it also allowed me to revisit all the things that I had already been learning. And I also took it upon myself to use that extra time to start networking. And so I would every day I would have some at least one or two meetings in San Francisco or Oakland where I would go and I would just ask people who had either been to a boot camp or who work in the industry what their experiences are, like how have they been able to be successful, like what advice do they have. Yeah. So from very, very early on, I was strategizing. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was using Making that using yeah. that formula. Yeah. yeah. And I think after talking to so many people and hearing about their experiences, it just made me more and more and more confident yeah. and more and more and more sure of what I needed to do and yeah. how I needed to approach like the on-campus portion. Yeah. So, you know, then the, the second nine weeks happens, we start the on-campus portion and you know ahead of time that it's going to be a lot of hours. And I, you know, I, the program itself was 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I had told myself that I would stay till 10 p.m. every night okay. that I would not leave until 10 p.m. Yeah. And discipline. Yes. And even if my classmates, a lot of them would just leave at six. Yeah. Some of them would stay maybe 30 minutes to an hour and then leave. Sometimes they would want to go and get drinks or mm -hmm. like something like that. And I made it a policy to not go. Yeah. And I would tell them I'm not going to go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sacrifices. Um, and so I think the benefit of that is that I took it very seriously. If there was something that I didn't understand, which there were moments where that happened, where we all were, were struggling to understand a concept. Yeah. And I took that time after classes to really, really go over it in detail. Yeah. And I think that that helped me a lot in that I was able to, I was one of the higher performers yeah. in my, yeah. in my program. Like, you know, the exams and things like that were, they, yeah, I mean, they, I wouldn't call them cake, but I definitely, I did very well. Yeah, you put in the work. And I think for the people listening that are getting excited about Dev Bootcamp, I think it's important to clarify that Dev Bootcamp no longer exists, but it did birth uh, some of the best coding bootcamps in the space that still exists. But they also did something that was very unique that was different, I think. They had like an emotional learning portion or like, I think, yeah, I'm not sure if they still they had, had that there. It was called Engineering Empathy. Yeah. So and what's that? so... Sorry to cut you off. But yeah. uh, so once a week or I, I think it was once a week or once every other week, you would have a session um, with all of your classmates and it would be facilitated by an instructor. And we would cover some sort of topic, whether it was like communicating how you feel or giving or receiving feedback, positive and negative feedback, you know, understanding biases like your own biases, how to kind of listen to other people when they're like when they're coming forward about experiences that they may have yeah. or when you witness like an ex someone being discriminated against things yeah. like that. And I thought that was a very cool part of the program. Yeah. Yeah. How did that make you feel just like being a teacher and like, how did that like, you know, stand out to you when it came to like, or how did you incorporate that or how are you incorporating that today? Yeah. So, you know, to be completely honest, <laughs> I think that the program itself was very beneficial. Yeah. I will also say that, I've had the privilege of having educational experiences throughout my life yeah. where I did similar things. Yeah. So there wasn't anything for me that yeah. was particularly new. That's real. To be yeah. honest. What yeah. about the the coding portion of the the coding portion of the program? I know you're an educator 
So how is the learning different in a boot camp than uh, the learning that people experience in colleges or high schools? Yeah. So I thought that the learning fit my learning style way better than what I had in college, which is I'm a hands-on kinesthetic learner. I have a very hard time sitting in a room listening to someone talk for more than like 20 minutes, to be honest, <laughs> unless... I'm surprised you liked our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, unless it's a topic that's extremely engaging, Yeah, I will check out and sometimes I will fall asleep. So, <laughs> and it was, it was actually a really, my major in, in college involved a lot of lectures. So it was actually very difficult for me to, to get through college. Yeah. So I like dev boot camp was in many ways like a breath of fresh air because it was like, oh my God, I can do this all day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, give me an assignment yeah. that I have to do with my hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like solving a puzzle. That's yeah. how the assignments were. Yeah. It's like, here's the directions, you know, here's these little pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Now go figure it out. Find yeah. the other pieces and put it together. Would you describe yourself as like a math person? No. Got it. Got it. Because I mean, a lot of people get confused about that. So this puzzle thing, like for as someone that's not a math person, like how would you describe it? Like because people would I think a lot of people would find inspiration or find it inspiring to hear, you know, that you don't have to be a math person to learn how to code. Yeah. So coding is in many ways about logic. It has, you know, you can have a focus within coding that has to do with math. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's about being able to think logically about how to solve a problem. Yeah. And a lot of people use logic in a lot of different professions mm-hmm. outside of math. Yeah. And so I think that that's really important to understand. In my current job at MailChimp, I don't think I've had to do any. I know that I haven't had to do any sort of math, not yeah. once since I've been there. Yeah, yeah. No, That's good feedback. And yeah. Can you give examples of the types of logic that you have to kind of work through? So it's hard for me to explain this. Is it like if-else statements, things like that? Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, you, let's say, for example, you're getting a bunch of, you're getting a bunch of data yeah, and you want to output a certain, certain information based on this data. You have to say, okay, well, if the data looks like this, then you want to output that. If the data looks like that, then you want to output something else. If the data is a little bit of this and a little bit of that or some of this and and not some of that or something along those lines, it's like you have to kind of figure out how to piece it together yeah. in a way where you get the out, output that you want. It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, I, need, yeah. I need more no, practice uh, with that. Yeah. And anyone can do a Code Academy course that's a few hours long and they'll get an idea about what coding is like. Yeah. yeah. Um, but your journey actually had a lot of bumps along the way. So the first mm-hmm. bump we talked about was... Like the bootcamp, you got conditionally accepted too. It didn't end up uh, kind of accepting you. So then you ended up, uh, you had to choose a different one. But then something else happened. Can you share that? Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm living with Edeline and Rita and I'm loving being there. And um, we're getting to like the end of, almost the end of the first part of the, the bootcamp. Yeah. And Rita gets a job offer yeah. in New York City. Yeah. And Rita was and also a guest on our podcast. I remember that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Her story is super dope. Yeah. Rita and Edeline are sisters. And Edeline travels a lot for work. So she doesn't have to be in a specific place. Yeah. Right. So Rita gets this job offer and it's this amazing opportunity. And the lease is about to be up at the end of the month. Yeah. So they either have to give it up at the end of the month or not. Yeah. 
So Rita decides that she wants to move and she sits down, she sits me down and tells me, look, the lease ends in 10 days Dang. and then we got to be out of here. So and housing is hard to find in San Francisco. And housing is extremely hard to find. Especially when you're on a budget. And it's expensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, of course, this was another stressful situation. I didn't know what I was going to do. I have friends out here, but not people who, you know, out here, people are renting bedrooms in a house. Yeah. You know, people don't just have like a spare bedroom that they can mm-hmm. like let you stay in. Yeah. And if they're renting a bedroom in a house with three or four other roommates, then you can't just be like, oh, can I let crash, me, on, can I crash on your couch? Because <laughs> they share that couch with four or five other people, you know? So it wasn't easy to just ask people if I could stay with them. But I I had a friend who from college who was living in Pittsburgh, which is like an hour away, That's or wild. like 45 Pittsburgh, minutes California. away. Pittsburgh, California, yeah. which is like East, East, East Bay. Yeah, um, <laughs> the far East Bay. <laughs> And um, he was actually living with another friend of ours who went to who he went to college with. His mom has a house there. Wow! And just in case she thought we forgot about family. Yeah, you can't forget about family, man. So (laughs) she she said that I could stay, and actually, my friend let me stay in his bedroom, and he slept downstairs on the couch. Wow! For a whole week. Amazing. So I stay there. Then I went and I stayed with another friend. This is Jackie. And um, this is all as you're trying to learn how to code. All as I'm, I'm still doing the program. Also, shout out to Salif. Salif is the one who let who who I stayed with the first time. Yeah. Then the second week, I stayed with Jackie. Jackie, I met through Edeline and Rita. Oh, I know Jackie. <laughs> Jackie's Jackie's amazing. Jackie's helped me out multiple times since then. Stayed yeah. with him for a week, and then throughout that time, I was able to get housing at San Francisco Student Housing in San Francisco. I remember that you pulled up in a car. I think. <laughs> And you were like, hey, Ruben, can you pick up the car? Yeah, 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 it was, yeah. So it was Edeline's car, actually, that I was using to, like, keep all my stuff in because I, I had all this stuff and I didn't know where to put it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I had a lot of help and I had to ask for help, which is not which is not easy. I mean, I wouldn't say that I was embarrassed because I knew that I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But it's hard because you don't want to put people in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. And sometimes people don't have the capacity or the resources to help. Yeah. And and even if they do, you know, it's not all, it's not comfortable to like give up your space yeah. to someone else. So yeah. it was hard, but it was like, I don't have any other choice. It's either this or I go home. And yeah. that's not an option. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. I would also add, because a lot of people think reaching out to others, especially strangers, it's a scary thing. But people generally understand the struggles that folks go through to career transition. And uh, like just listening to your story, I can definitely relate to the moment of like switching houses and not knowing where you're going to sleep in a week. But I think people in tech specifically are more understanding. So I'm glad that you're you're actually asking for help and you were posting in our group because the mistake I see a lot of people make is they go through these struggles alone. Mm-hmm. And even though there's other people who could help them, those people don't know unless you ask them. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. rarely works too because we've seen... Tons of people who want to be self-reliant and they're, they don't want to ask for help. And with career transitioning, you're bound to hit bumps along the way. Yeah. And, and so it, you have to be a team player and just kind of ask for help. And then what you could do is return that help when you get a job and you can help someone else break in. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, you, you made this plan and you're getting to the end of the program and you're getting ready for the job search. And you, you know, have already done your research and you already knew what the average time is to 
search for a job. And a lot of people don't even know what that is. And even with that time, you know, you were starting to get to a point where you might have had to move back to Florida. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about that struggle or that thought process and like what made you stick around and, you know, what the decisions were? I think it was around the holidays again. Yeah, it was very close to the holidays. So my program ended in November. Yeah. And which is also a pretty slow hiring period. Yeah. So my program ends and I find out and and at this my my savings. Yeah. is like about to hit zero. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I have a very short amount of time before I am going to run out of money. Yeah. And I was supposed to get this stipend from Yes We Code. Yeah. And there ended up being some issues, yeah. right? I didn't know, they didn't know if I would be, I, there was like some miscommunications. Yeah. We didn't know if I was going to get it. Eventually I did end up getting it yeah. later on down the road, but there was a, there was a period of time where like it was delayed. Yeah. And so, you know, I figured out a way to get out of my housing. Cause even though, even though I was staying at San Francisco student housing, which was actually cheaper than being with Edeline. So that actually worked out too. And that's another thing that I just want to say is that I truly believe that when you are on your path, serendipitous things will happen. Boom, preach. I promise you, you know, like, like Edeline and Rita left. I found this place, San Francisco student housing. The rent was like a few hundred dollars cheaper and I was a mile away from campus. So I didn't have to take the BART anymore. I just had to walk 20 minutes to class every day, which also allowed me to stay later every day because I didn't have to worry about taking public transportation home. And so every time there was some sort of like bump in the road, there was something else that would happen that was just like magical. And it it was always, I think, a sign that, yeah. that I just needed to, to push forward. Yeah. So I'll just say that. Yeah, so, it's a blessing. so I graduate from the program and I'm job hunting and I'm, and I'm still like continuing like a really solid schedule and I run out of money. And so I reached out to, oh, no, I think I, I think I, I had a conversation with, I don't I think it was Archer this time. Oh, no, it was Archer. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, Archer. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we, I think we were doing like a, um, like a practice coding challenge, practice interview. Yep. And during the interview, you asked me how I was doing. And mm-hmm. I told you that I was running out of money and you were like, you know what? You should do a GoFundMe, a, a GoFundMe or like a crowdfunding campaign. And I yeah. was like, you know what? I don't think I can. Like mm-hmm. I like that's embarrassing. Like I've done camp crowdfunding for a cause or mm-hmm. something like that, yeah, but I've yeah. never done it to ask for money just for me to pay yeah. for like food. Like I was like, I, I don't yeah. know about that. But then like two weeks later. <laughs> yeah, I remember I floated the idea and you weren't very excited about it initially. No, I, I was think, not. I think it was, uh, we were in New York over winter break. And yeah. I think you stayed in San Francisco. You didn't go home for holidays. But Arthur was like sitting on the couch doing mic interviews. And then he was <laughs> talking about GoFundMe's. I was like... I was like, I hope she does it. Yeah, and he has, be super he has dope. both of us. So he was like, "Hey, hey, Timor Ruben, what do you think about like helping Iris with her GoFundMe campaign?" I'm like, "All right, yeah, let's try it." Yeah. And then he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I mean, we got a community. Let's see what we could do." I mean, we always talk about family. Yeah. And so you you set it up, you sent it to yeah Archer, and then Archer was like, "Yo, it's live. Tweet it out." Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest thing was you were putting in the work. It's not like you just like graduated from the boot camp and you were just like chilling and you were just like, I need help someone to pay for my rent. You were yeah. actually like hitting up people, emailing folks at companies. You you had already like on sites with a few different companies as well. 
you didn't go back home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, so you were alone. Sacrifice. Like I remember on Christmas mm-hmm. when I, I think I may have texted you like Happy Christmas, and you're like, Yeah, like I'm, I'm like, Damn. I'm here in San Francisco, and I was like, Are you like, is there anyone like uh, around you? You're like, No. Nope. All the people from my boot camp, yeah, were gone. Gone. Wow. They all went home. So you I were stayed. alone, like, yeah. on Christmas. Wow. Preparing for. I was so, studying. Yeah, you were studying, <laughs> and I remember when I heard that, I was like, She's someone that definitely deserves deserves it, deserves it. and. It's not even like that people, it's not even asking people help, for help. Like with the GoFundMe, you're actually giving people a chance to invest in you and yeah. like to believe in you. And there's so many people that want to encourage folks like yourself to break into tech. Yeah. Um, and then, and like, and not just because of like people believe in you, but you believe in yourself and you put in the work and you were dedicated. And, you know, when you set up the page, you had to create these pages, like it takes work. Like, so you had to put some kind of content. What'd you put in there? You know, how much were you trying to raise? Why did you choose that number? Yeah. I don't remember the content, yeah. to be honest. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think the amount I wanted to raise was 4000 mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I, I think I put my story in, in the yeah. content, yeah. Like, like some short version of my story. Yeah. Which is also, I think, very important and has helped me along the way is yeah. knowing exactly what my story is and being able to explain it in a very clear way. Yeah. And I think that along with your all of y'all's help, I think that played a role in people wanting to to donate to me as well. But yeah, so the amount was four thousand. I sent it out to y'all, and within an hour, we raised. A, well, no, I think within two hours, we raised a thousand dollars. And within like something like sixteen or eighteen yep. hours, yep. we raised the full four thousand. Yeah, I remember Ruben sitting uh, on Twitter, and he would just hit up his whole list yeah and didn't like star jones oh yeah star jones there's a bunch of people that tweeted yeah, out Ohania, and Nick yeah. Caldwell, like a lot of people yeah. were donated and commenting like people that i didn't even expect and like not just small amounts but big amounts and you know yeah. I, I have a goosebumps thinking about it right now but yeah. then you hit your goal and it was dope yeah yeah we had more than the goal it ended up being like something like 46 or 4800 it was very close to 5000 yeah yeah, and, yeah. Then, and i think the cool thing was that like this gave you enough runway, right? It gave you kind of like an extra few breaths to be able to focus on a job search instead of having to stop, pause job search and then go back to like driving for Uber or something like that, mm-hmm. where, yeah. which would be a distraction. So like, tell us what that enabled you to do and like, what were the results yeah. of that? Yeah. 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 So that money was a blessing and it was actually a blessing in more ways than I think y'all know. So I'll share this, but so yeah, it did allow me to continue to focus on the job hunt. And MailChimp, which, you know, I was my was my practice company through the process of interviewing with MailChimp. I fell in love with MailChimp and I was Mm -hmm. like, this is not a practice company. This is a company that I need to take very, very seriously. And a few weeks after you guys sent me sorry, after we raised the money, I had my on site with them. And uh, about a week after my on site, a few days after my on site they gave me an offer. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then a few days after that, I had another onsite with another company. And a few days after that, I got another offer. <laughs> and so I had two offers. And you know, what's actually funny is that I, this is also about, I think it has to do with planning and putting stuff in the air. Yeah. But I had decided that I would apartment hunt, even though I didn't have I didn't know where I was going to live and I didn't have a job yeah. that I was going to apartment hunt because the moment that I got a job, I wanted to be able to secure something right away instead yeah. of starting my house hunt then. Yeah. So I was having a hard time finding anything. 
And then this one posting had come up Mm -hmm. and I was the first person to see it. And so I went to go look at it the next day, the very first person to see this, this apartment. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm telling the, the guy my story, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I really like you. I was like, I don't have a job yet, but I'm like waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear back. And that was after your onsite with MailChimp? That was after my onsite with MailChimp. Wow. And literally, I'm walking from the apartment to the BART station. And I get a phone call from the recruiter at MailChimp saying that I got the job, that wow. I got the offer. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I called the guy back for the apartment. I was like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I got the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to get the offer in, in a little bit. I'll email it to you because they just need to know like on paper that you have through. something coming. Yeah. 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 I think and, I think it's something important to touch on too. Just like, I know you may not, I mean, obviously you chose MailChimp, but you got offers from like big companies and like kind of like the ranges of the of the salary that you got going from being, you know, a teacher to to then like what? What was that? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very big jump. I think you do have to consider that this is the Bay Area. So salaries in general are going to be higher than other areas, like significantly higher just because the cost of living is more. But either way, uh, when I was a teacher, I was making Mm -hmm. $41,000 in Florida. Yeah. And when I got my job at MailChimp, my job at MailChimp now my salary is in the low hundreds. And uh, when you take in all of the bonuses that I get, my salary is about mid hundred. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's amazing. So that's a, almost a five X. Yeah. Did you do any negotiations with your other offers? I did. You know what? The, so the second company that I got an, that I got an offer from, I actually didn't really negotiate with them because I had pretty much made up my mind about MailChimp. But I did negotiate with MailChimp and I got a, a signing bonus that was about, I would say about four times more than the original. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I know like you got all these offers and, you know, when you were in the job search, negotiating is was something that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, in addition to being able to tell your story and you went through the interview process with a bunch of other companies and got a bunch of other offers. So can you kind of unpack that for the people that are in the job search right now. Yeah. So, you know, I am going to correct you. It wasn't a bunch of offers. It was two. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but there were other companies that I was in the process with yeah. and I chose to drop out. So I think it's very possible that I would have had more yeah. more offers if I had had stuck those out. Yeah. So, you know, when it came down to the last two companies, what I did was I told MailChimp that if they were willing to drastically increase my signing bonus that I would sign with them immediately yep. and I wouldn't like continue to try and like negotiate. Yeah. So that was, that was a strategy that I chose. And I actually got that advice from Jill Wetzler who works okay. at yeah. Uh, Lyft. Yeah. And she is someone who I had actually reached out to during my job search. She doesn't usually respond to people who reach out to her on LinkedIn, but she responded to me. I went wow. to her office. We talked. And we've been in touch ever since. Amazing. And so her and she's a director of engineering yeah. at, at Lyft. Did she see your campaign? I believe she did. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think she shared it. And I think, I don't know if she donated money or That's what, amazing. but yeah. I know that she she saw it and she helped to share it. Yeah. Dope, dope. Love it. The power of the community. And so I think another common theme throughout your process, not just like during the job search, but like for all the way from the beginning is the way you've told your story. You know, people have taken chances on you because of your story. 
people have, you know, not just taken chances, like some people believed in you because of your story, supported you because of your story. So can you talk about how you've essentially presented yourself? I think you've obviously got a lot of training as a teacher, but yeah, how, how do people, why should people focus on telling their stories as engineers? Yeah, absolutely. I think having a story is really important particularly if you are of a non-traditional background, because if you're switching in from a different career, you're already at a disadvantage and the average company is going to look at you and say, why should I choose you over this college grad who has done an internship or two or three or just another like mid-level engineer? And so you really have to, you really have to sell yourself and make it clear that your lack of like technical abilities that sorry, the things that you bring to the table are greater or more significant than your lack of technical abilities. Mm-hmm. That the lack of technical abilities is minuscule in comparison to everything else that you can bring to the table. And that developing that technical skill is just going to happen if you have the support and the yep. mentorship that you need. But that there are all these other things that you've already spent years developing and that that's really what you bring to the table. And I think that in a lot of ways, I think that that's what MailChimp saw in me. Yeah. yeah. And you also, I mean, just to kind of go back to your background, you were a teacher, like you're, mm-hmm. you were leading a classroom of 12 year olds who don't uh, respond well to authority and mm-hmm. you have to always keep them in line. And yeah. uh, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities of that in a work environment where you're also working with others and you have deadlines, you want to come up with a plan. What was interesting is throughout this whole process, you kept referring to the formula. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk a lot about on the podcast around what people do to succeed. But can you break it down to the people listening? What is that formula and what will help them break into tech? Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to keep this as succinct as possible. But I think the first step is to definitely have a plan. You know, the plan doesn't have to be perfect. You can update it over time. But do your research, do thorough research and come up with some semblance of a plan that involves a time period and that involves a savings goal and also a savings plan. So you know how much money you need to save. How are you going to get there? What are the things that you need to cut out of your lifestyle in order for you to be able to save the money that you need to save? I think the next thing is is identifying people that can help you and resources that can help you along the way. I know that for me, the Breaking in Startups podcast was absolutely crucial because that podcast was able to give me insight, information, advice, strategy, even negotiating strategy. Like there's so much information that I got from that podcast. And, you know, you may be listening to a podcast and you hear some advice. You're not going to use that advice necessarily right in that moment. But a situation may come up in five months and you'll remember what you heard from this one person's story on the podcast. And that's where it becomes important. And so exposing yourself to knowledge on a, I listen to your podcast every day in the morning (laughs) on the way to work, in the gym while I was working out. Like if I'm cooking dinner at night, like I listen to it all day. And I just took in as much information as I could. So, and I also found other podcasts too. Like I listened mm-hmm. to Code Newbie. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, there were others as well. So, yeah. So, so finding that information, exposing yourself to that information also helps to keep you motivated yeah. because it's not an easy process. So yeah. 
you know, and it's gonna there are gonna be times where you might feel burnt out or you might doubt yourself or yeah. question your ability. You yeah. get to, you know, JavaScript like loops or yeah. functions or something <laughs> like that, and you're like, I don't get it, I don't understand. You know, having other people's stories playing in your head, you know, throughout the day help to keep me motivated. Yeah. I think the next thing is deciding that you're going to work very hard. Yeah. Especially once the boot camp starts. The boot camp is a very short amount of time. You have to take full advantage. Every moment that you waste not doing your homework assignments or going out to like drink or party with your classmates is information that you that you're losing that you may need when you're in your job hunt. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's important to just go into the boot camp saying like this program is nine weeks. I'm going to bust my ass for these entire nine weeks or 18 weeks or whatever. Just give it everything that you can. It's such a it's a sprint. Boot camps are not marathons. They are sprints. You just got to sprint your ass off. Yeah. And if you can sprint and give it everything, then you will graduate that boot camp in the top of your program. And when you go and you interview with people they will be able to say, you know, this person is not just like, you know, half the other boot camp grads that we interviewed that we could tell just like skated through. Yeah. You know, yeah. we can tell that this person took it seriously, did their homework, was committed, and that this is someone that we want to invest in. Yeah. 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 Can yeah. you, uh, so can you just break it down to the folks uh, how your life has changed now that you've gone through this journey and you've made all these sacrifices? How has your life different now than it was a year and a half ago? Yeah. So my life is very different. When I was living in South Florida, I lived with my parents and the income that I was making was not was enough that I I may have been able to live on my own, but I, I would have had to have a roommate or something like that. And I wouldn't have had much money like after I paid all of my expenses to do anything really. So the difference is that now I'm fully independent from my parents and from anyone. I am able to take care of myself financially. I'm able to, my partner moved out here, um, left his job to come move out here and stay here. So I'm able to support him financially. I'm able to save for the future. I'm able to invest. Like there's, you know, there's just so much that I, I wouldn't have been able to do if I had stayed with the income that I had as a teacher, I would have just had to like stay living with my parents. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that's interesting too, is you probably had a lot of people reaching out to you to, you know, also want to learn how to code. Can you talk about that? I think you've even helped my brother. Yeah. Yeah. So I probably have someone reach out to me maybe every other week or so. Different people that I know will like refer people to me. I try and speak to everyone that I can. And you know, I think it's very fulfilling because I was once in the same position yeah. not too long ago. So I think, you know, if, if anyone has any questions or they want advice or they want to hear more details about my story, I'm happy to yeah. talk and, and help. Yeah. Yeah. And in our community, there are a lot of teachers. And I want to cover this subject because there's some professions where people go from being like a mechanical engineer to becoming a software engineer. So the transition is pretty logical. But We've seen a lot of success teachers have becoming software engineers. Can you talk a little bit about what that process is like from going from teaching to software engineering? And also, what were some of the advantages that you had going through this process? Yeah, advantages I had as a teacher? Yeah. Hmm. 
or in general, what are some, because uh, we talk about perceived disadvantages and yeah. advantages. What were some of those for you? And I just want, I know we're asking like a, like three questions in one, but like my sister's a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we think a lot about like impact, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's able to impact her classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times we talk about engineering as a superpower and like, you know, what we learn from our kids. And I've been a teacher as well as a music teacher. I used to teach cello. Mm-hmm. So like teaching that classroom is cool, but like, am I able to teach people at scale, mm-hmm. like in a short amount of time in my lifetime and see that impact? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what is the advantage or the perceived disadvantage or advantage that you had earlier? And like, how has your perspective changed now that you are an engineer? Yeah. So I think the thing that I got from teaching, I think there's two things. One is that having to teach students who have different ways of learning allowed me to better understand what I needed to do in order to learn. You know, when you have a student who you've explained a concept to or you've shown them a concept and they don't get it, right? A lot of the times what students will do is they will give up or they will assume that they can't get it. They have a, they have a, what is it called? They don't have a growth mindset, right? And so I think having the experience of seeing my students do that Mm -hmm. allowed me to understand the ways in which I did that in my own life. And if I'm telling my student that like, you just have to work at it, you just have to, you know, repeat, repetition, repetition, practice, practice, and you'll get it. I think the process of teaching that to to students allowed me to teach that to myself. Also, one of the things that I did with my students, because I worked in a school where it was a low-income school where a lot of my students were just very, very jaded and had a hard time learning the material or even being interested in school, period. And so what I did was I would play motivational videos. We would have Motivational Monday, and every Monday I would play some sort of motivational video. And I remember I'd be sitting and I'd be watching the video, and I'd be like, man, he's talking about me. And yeah. I'm like, and this is, this is while I was like going through my own process yeah. of studying and like preparing to, to mm-hmm. come into the boot camp. And so... I just think teachers have so much, they have so much knowledge, mm-hmm. not like actually like knowledge about like history and things like that, but so much knowledge about how to get people, how to motivate people and how to teach people and how to encourage people. And I think when you have a teacher who becomes an engineer and then becomes a mid-level or a senior engineer who's now a mentor you're going to have an extremely strong mentor. And I think that that's something that MailChimp saw in me. And I, and I gave very specific examples during my interview process. Yeah. And I think that that's a great segue into you know the social justice stuff. But one more thing about teachers, because I was just in Ohio at the National Urban League Conference talking about Save Our Cities and preparing for the digital revolution. And one of the teachers was so inspired by the talk and the future of work that they were excited, but also concerned about how traditional education is changing. And a question that they ask as a teacher is, as a teacher that's trying to prepare kids for the future, just people for the future in general, how do teachers know what to teach? So like, as a teacher, what advice would you give teachers about what to teach to prepare kids, adults, et cetera, for the future? Yeah. So it's hard because as a teacher, you have a curriculum and you have standardized testing. And I think it's extremely restricting, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I think the best thing that you can do is help kids understand the world that they live in and 
what is needed to be able to survive in that world and help them understand that the skills that they learn, it doesn't have to be skills that they learn in school. It could be skills that they learn outside of school, but that everything that they're learning it needs to somehow be able to help them in the future. And if it doesn't feel like it's going to help you, like don't waste your time on it. I think another thing that teachers are doing more is project-based learning. Our Mm. kids are hands-on learners. A lot of them do not care about reading a 200 page book, you know, like it's just, it's just not the world that we live in. They are, they need visuals, they need graphics, they need images, they need experiences. You need to take them places, show them things. But that's something that needs to be implemented on like, like a massive scale, a mass scale. Yeah. 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 I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and for, you know, the people that, that don't recognize the tie between education and social justice and organizing and uh, creating leaders, I think it's important for you to unpack that because, you know, while we were at the Urban League, we connected with Tiffany Lofton from the NAACP. We talked about people in social justice also trying to get prepared for that digital future. You were at, you know, the Alliance, recognizing that there was inefficiencies. You discovered MailChimp and recognized the importance of tech to make things more efficient. So, you know, what is social justice? People talk about it as a buzzword, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unpack that and what's that influence into, you know, what you're doing today, even with your own podcast. Yeah. So social justice is really about, is about creating a world that's more equitable at the end of the day. It's creating a world that is more fair, where people have a fair shot, where they're treated fairly, where their lives have equal value, right? Where you don't have some people whose values are, whose lives are valued up here and other people whose lives are valued you know, way down at the bottom. Yeah, It's about closing that gap. And there's so many different ways that you can close that gap. I mean, you know, veterans are mistreated. People with disabilities are mistreated. People of certain races and ethnicities and, and genders and gender identities, like there's so many gaps in yeah. how people are treated. And so I think anyone who's advocating for fair and equal treatment that's based on Real, justified research, yeah, not fake news, yeah, <laughs> alternative facts, <laughs> not alternative facts. <laughs> like you are, you are essentially fighting for social justice. Got it, got it. Yeah. yeah. What about? So, I have a question for you. So, how has this transition and um, you learning how to code made you uh, more powerful as an organizer? Yeah, yeah. So, I think that I think so. I actually wouldn't call myself an organizer anymore. You know, there's different types of activists, and I think it's important to make that clear. Community organizers are a type of activist. They are people who go out and get a community of people to organize around a specific cause and um, mobilize around a specific cause and then ideally get changes made to like legislation or, or something along those lines. Then you have advocates who are just vocal about what they believe or vocal about like the needs of a specific group. And you have researchers and then you also have educators. And I would say that I've transitioned now into more of an education role as an activist. And my goal with my organization, Organize, is to help to educate activists and give them tools that help them to be more effective. You know, it's one thing to understand or to know that systems of oppression exist. It's one thing to know that people in low-income neighborhoods are, you know, met with all these 
disadvantages, you know, in all in all these different ways. It's another thing to be able to build an organization that is effectively able to change that. And I think that is where a lot of groups have been struggling. And it's not an easy thing. So I can't blame them for not being able to make it to that next stage. But I think a lot of it's like businesses, you know, what is it? 99% of businesses fail. Probably (laughs) 99.999% of nonprofits fail. Yeah. And so, you know, and and I think nonprofits and social justice groups are really the key to to changing the world. I love that because I know, you know, in your podcast and what you're starting, the first questions you started asking us was like how to create a sustainable organization. And, you know, capitalism, like government systems are controversial subjects, but like I think you actually like Timo's answer to what a sustainable organization is. So maybe Timo can know, unpack what his answer is, and then you can comment on why you like that answer so much. Do you remember? Uh, it's been a minute. Um, <laughs> you didn't play I your think, video over I and think over again? The, I think my answer was that uh, when it comes to sustainable organizations, but it actually applies to a lot of like, how do you run a family? How do you run a company? I think it comes down to... It's all good. It's common. I think I said process design. System, oh, processes. Yeah. System design and the culture. And culture. Yeah. yeah. So it comes down to system design and culture. I think the system design comes in because you need to have a plan. You also need to set up boundaries. You need to understand how the whole system works together. But then it comes down to culture because culture is actually the people and how those people interact and how they execute on the vision. So to keep my answer short, it's those two things. And you can apply it to anything that you're doing, even running this podcast. Yeah. And so, you know, you talked about, you know, why you like that, how you're applying those principles today. And, you know, I think, I mean, we're so, so proud of you because like you're not just in your goal, but you're also doing your own thing. So talk about that. So, yeah. So as I mentioned, Organize is uh, we're a media and software company focused on helping activists be more effective. So we're, we're building tools. We have one app that we're working on right now and a list of other apps that we want to create and launch. And but right now our primary focus is on creating digital media and content yeah. because we realize that social media is is actually the best and easiest way to touch people yeah. and is actually a great tool for educating people. Yeah. And so the goal is to be able to connect or to develop a community of activists through social media and then educate them through content that we push out. The content is on everything from like digital security, how do you protect yourself yeah. to like how like efficiency, how do yeah. you build an efficient organization? How do you maximize resources and time to like man, like uh documentation, yeah. like how do you and research, how do you use how do you conduct research? Yeah. And then how do you use that research yeah. to inform the causes or the legislation yeah. or the the campaigns that you're trying to push. Yeah. There's so much that we want to teach people and we're just really excited to build this company. And actually it's not a nonprofit, it's a company. Yeah. And you know, we very intentionally made it a company. And if you go to the website, it will explain why we did that. Yeah. And I think it's it's reaching people where they are is key. You know, and part of the reason why, you know, social media is important. We're not just recording audio. Um, and using social media, but we're recording video is a big deal because, you know, eight heroes who's helping us with video recognizes the, 
the power of short form video to teach, which is why Sydney and Nana, who actually contributed to your campaign as well, mm-hmm. are here. So it's like a surreal moment bringing it all, all full circle. So um, I think that's a perfect segue into yeah. the, the lightning round. Yeah. So as a listener of the podcast, you know what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the portion where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you questions. And you've already shared a lot of strategies, but these will be even deeper, more hands-on strategies that our listeners can use to follow in your steps. So Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So we're sitting here in the Bay Area about 18 months after you made that initial plan to break into tech. And it's pretty amazing to see how far you've come. But if you're giving advice to your younger self or earlier self, when you were just making that plan, what advice would you give yourself? And um, like, what uh, kind of a few words of motivational motivation would you uh, share with earlier Iris? Mm-hmm. I would tell myself that things are good. There are going to be rough moments. Mm-hmm. I think that when I started out, I didn't. I thought that if I just created a plan and just followed the plan, that mm-hmm. everything would would work smoothly. And I'm someone who doesn't like it when things don't go my way. Yeah, I'm, I'm not good at dealing <laughs> with that. So, you know, I, I think I would tell myself like your plan may not happen exactly the way that you envisioned it and to just be open to that. And sometimes a change, it may seem like a bad thing, but it may actually end up being a good thing or put you in a better place than where you were yeah. previously. Yeah. Trust your struggle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Something else you touched on, which I think every single one of them ha- has experiences being separated from your partner and being separated from your partner for as long as you were, which is like eight months mm-hmm. um, without like the best communication. I'm not sure how your communication was, but I think all of us have had bad communication and ended up in breakups. Like, how do you communicate properly to make sure the other partner feels love? while you're making a sacrifice, even if it's not a, even if it's a platonic relationship, like yeah. how, how do you communicate properly to, to keep that relationship healthy? Yeah. I think it's important to stay in touch and make sure that you talk every day, at least, even if you don't talk on the, on the phone, mm-hmm. you know, at least make sure that you send some sort of communication throughout the day, check in, make sure that your partner knows what's going on, you know, Make sure that they're up to date on what what you're experiencing so that they don't feel like they're left out or they don't feel like you're keeping them out, you know? And I think think just trusting and believing that you have to believe that your partner being away from you is a good thing. Like my partner and I were actually looking forward to being apart because we both had things that we wanted to invest our time in. And when you have a partner that's there with you every day, yeah. it's really hard to, it's harder to focus. Yeah. Right. Even if you start out wanting to focus, I mean, you know, your partner could just walk into the room and yeah. then all of a sudden distracted. you're just distracted. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we were actually excited because you we were like, you know what, this is going to be a good time to be able to just dig in and like fully focus on ourselves yeah. and fully have that time for ourselves. And, and I think it was, it was really important. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You talked a little bit about mindset. Do you listen to music as well to like keep you motivated? I know you talked about podcasts. Or do you watch anything to keep you motivated? I know you talked about videos in the classroom. <laughs> you know what? I need to start listening to motivational videos again. I was thinking <laughs> about that the other day. I was like, what is it that got me through, you know, some of the rough the rough moments when I was planning to make the transition? And watching motion emotion, sorry, motivational videos was helpful. So I need to do that again. 
in terms of music, I love music. I listen to a lot of different types of music, particularly R&B and I love electronic music actually. Wow. So I'm a big I'm a big fan of groups like Disclosure okay. and Subtract. Yeah. And some other people whose names I'm I'm forgetting. I'm drawing a blank, but and then in terms of TV shows, man, TV is my <laughs> guilty pleasure. Okay. I love The Bachelorette. Wow! Uh oh, I think we're gonna get some guilty, guilty, guilty shout outs. I don't, I don't watch The Bachelor because <laughs> I could care less. But I do watch The Bachelorette, and actually, you know, going back to my me and my partner, when the last season happened, not this previous this season that just mm-hmm. happened, but the one with Rachel, yeah. which was last year, mm-hmm. I was here for my boot camp, and uh-huh. so my partner and I. This is another thing you still have to go on dates. Yeah, so we would still have a specific day of the week where we would we would hang out and like you know he would put the show on his computer i would put it on my <laughs> like computer <that>. and we <laughs> no, would watch it romantic. together very yeah dope. We're not. You, you guys didn't use zoom we didn't use zoom, no zoom i didn't know that zoom existed back then but now i know because now you can you can share a screen one of you plays and you just <laughs> really? share a screen so that's yeah. the secret to keeping your relationship together while you're away yeah Video you, you gotta you gotta have dates watch the bachelor the bachelorette the bachelorette saved your relationship yeah. <laughs> awesome awesome all right yeah. so i also know that you have a pretty you stick to a pretty strict regimen with your workouts and mm. uh, your daily routine. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, you, you know, we ask this question a lot, but can you share with the people what do you do on a daily basis and where do you find that discipline? Yeah. So discipline is something that I can be really, really, really good at sometimes and then really, really, really bad at sometimes. So I'm not going to lie and say that I'm like always disciplined mm-hmm. all the time because that that's not true. Um, Cheat meals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw some. We're all about that. Oh man, (laughs) gotta have breaks. Yeah, but I think I think the key, the number one important thing with discipline is to always get back on the horse, even Uh, if you fall off. Always get back on. Don't beat yourself up about the fact that you fell off. Just get back on and just move forward. Yeah. So my schedule right now, which is similar to the schedule that I had when I was a teacher, is I wake up in the morning, I go to work. I go to the gym right after work. You know, it's easier to do to just go. I'm already in work mode. So going to the gym right after is just just works. I've tried to do the gym in the morning, late at night. It doesn't work. So I always go right after work. I get home. And then usually the moment that I get home, actually, sometimes before I eat and before I shower, I start working on things that I need to do. Like if it's for organized, I'll like have you know, say like spend an hour doing X, Y, Z and I'll just get it out the way because once I get in that shower, bruh, oh, boy. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I love it. I'm yeah. done for the night. So, so I usually leave like my dinner and shower for like the very end of the night. I will say that when I was in my boot camp, I tried to maintain a exercise regimen, yeah. but I just it took up too much of my time. Yeah. And so I actually cut out the work within like two weeks. Once I started the on-campus portion. Yeah. After the first week, I like cut it out. It's hard. Yeah. yeah no, we're still trying to find our rhythm uh, now that we started this new company. Uh, I think I think something else to bring up too is just like your environment. I know not only are you working out of the Oakland office, um, but you actually live in Oakland, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Why did you choose to live in Oakland versus San Francisco? Oh, man. It's important. It's cheaper, <laughs> first of all. And I w- even if the office was in San Francisco, I would have still lived here. Yeah. It's cheaper. 
and it's cleaner and it's more diverse. And yeah. honestly, I think the diversity part is a big thing for me. When I lived in San Francisco and I went to Trader Joe's, I was like the only black person in the Trader Joe's. And it was like, look, if I can't go to the supermarket yeah. and see different colors of people, like, why do I live here? Yeah. And I mean, there's history in Oakland too, like the Black Panthers, Angela Davis, like all these other people that are from here that people don't know about. If you don't know about it, look it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something we didn't cover, which I think is worth mentioning is like, so you're an engineer now and your whole journey was to become an engineer. So mm-hmm. now that you're here, what is it like working for a tech company? Yeah. So I love my job. I absolutely love my job. And I think that one of the things that I love about it is the fact that it is challenging But it's not challenging in a way where I feel like, oh, I can only do this for a few years and then I can't, you know, I feel like that's how teaching was. Teaching was great. I loved that too. But it was one of those things where it was like, I don't, after a certain amount of time, I don't know if my spirit can continue. Yeah. This is a job where I see it as like the perfect amount of challenge that I can feel fulfilled and sustained for a long time. I I don't know if I'll do this for the rest of my life but I can see myself doing it for a significant amount of time. I would say in terms of my daily ex- mm-hmm. my daily work, I wake up in the morning, I read my Slack messages, I have a, I have a stand-up with my team. I'm a remote engineer, so the majority of my team is actually in, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Shout so, out to ATL. Shout out to ATL. So we have a lot of video calls. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'll have a Slack meeting where we, sorry, we'll have a video meeting where we all just kind of go over what we're working on, if we're stuck on anything, things like that. Then usually I'll get started on the work that I have. And, you know, we we split up our work into tickets. So, you know, we, we have an idea of what needs to be co- accomplished by the end of a sprint. A sprint is just a, a period of time mm-hmm. for you to get stuff done. So you do sprint planning at the beginning and then at the end you review the sprint and then you plan for the next sprint. Right. So based on what's supposed to be done by the end of the sprint, all these tickets are created. Mm -hmm. And then you basically go into Jira, which is the app that we use to manage our tickets and you assign yourself tickets. And, you know, if in the process of working on one ticket, you find something that needs to be done. You Mm -hmm. go and you create a new ticket and Mm -hmm. someone else can pick it up. Mm -hmm. You might pick it up. You know, you you know, you never know. But I think in terms of what these tickets actually entail, it could be a mix of things. It could be just fixing a bug, which could require literally one line of code Mm -hmm. or, you know, just a few, a few letters of code. Yeah. You may have to do an investigation so you may have to go and figure out, okay, what's going on? Why isn't this piece of code working? Yeah. And you have to track down all the different files that are related to it. So it it takes a good amount of problem solving. Yeah. You may have to go and find specific people and ask them questions mm-hmm. about why they made certain decisions. So you yeah. can understand why mm-hmm. it is the way that it is. And then some tickets might involve not fixing a bug or anything like that, but creating something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even it, but even when you're creating something new you still have to problem solve. Yeah. yeah. So it's really cool because it's like you're literally solving puzzles all day. Yeah. 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 I mean, How is that similar to um, when you're just starting out and taking tutorials on your own? Are there any similarities? There are similarities in a sense where it's like, you know, if you're taking a tutorial and the tutorial says, gives you like a little problem, you know, and you have to solve that problem. It's similar. It's just that 
those problems are usually in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. The problems that you're solving at work are related to a real live project, a real live feature with users and things like that. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, I think what's interesting, too, is just like, you know, historically in life, when people pursue careers, they like pursue a job that's going to give them a long period of time and then it ends in retirement. But I think people are working longer, recognizing that lifelong learning is super important and that the solution to a problem inevitably creates more problems and there's always change and you just got to get comfortable with that and recognize that it never ends. And so like you're, and then just get excited about like what you do and that you're going to do that forever. (laughs) Literally, that's literally exactly how exactly what being a software engineer is it's it's knowing that your path of learning never ends Mm -hmm. and that the amount of information that there is to learn is infinite so you can never be comfortable you can never be okay with where you are there's always something new to learn and there's always going to be a new problem you're going to use your previous experience and knowledge to help guide you. Yeah. But you're not going to just like know the answer to yeah. everything. You could be a principal engineer with 15 years experience. I just had, we have a principal engineer in the office the other day and I was telling him that I've been like having a bit of imposter syndrome lately. Mm-hmm. And he was like, look, I've been doing this for 15 years. <laughs> and every time I get a new project, I'm like, oh my God. I'm going to fail. Everyone's going to know that I'm like, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have this job. And so he was like, that feeling never goes away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is that what that also means on the flip side is that you're constantly feeling a sense of triumph. Yeah. And challenging yourself. And I, I guess my last question is like kind of, can you talk a little bit about the culture and the team, like inside tech companies specifically? Because I remember when I went from being in a corporate world where everything was very hierarchical to tech, I was kind of impressed by the level of teamwork and just the laid back culture where you have so much autonomy. Mm-hmm. Kind of, can you share your experience of being in tech and how does that compare to other jobs you've had before? Yeah. So it's hard for me to say, it's hard for me to speak for the entire tech industry. Mm-hmm. I can only speak for MailChimp. And I know that my experience at MailChimp is different from what I've heard Mm -hmm. of other people having. I've heard other people who have to clock in at a certain time or their manager, they don't have to clock in, but their manager is like expecting them to be at their desk at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever. And they can't leave until a certain time. At my job, it's not like that. It's very flexible. There's no set time that you have to be in or out. You have certain meetings that you have to attend. But other than that, if you want to work from 10 to 8, that's fine. If you want to work from 7 a.m. to like 3 or 4 p.m., that's fine. As long as you do your 40 hours a week, which I think is really great and not as restricting as it was when I was a teacher. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I, I think to your point about like not speaking for the entire tech industry, like you have a flexible environment. Some things are more rigid. Some things are structured. Some things are unstructured. And a lot of times you have to come into the tech world recognizing that the world is changing all the time. And tech is moving very quickly. And like what's status quo is today may not be status quo tomorrow. And you got to be comfortable that what you're doing today or what your job title says today may not be what you're doing tomorrow. And you're going to be wearing many hats. And so that can be alarming for a lot of people. But that's where things are going to ultimately going to be going and get ready. So Yeah. So before we wrap up, one last question. So we've covered a lot of topics. One topic that I'd love to get your opinion on is... What do you think of people who want to do part-time boot camps? I know you personally haven't done it, but we have people now 
who can't afford or just because of their family situation, they might be taking care of a sick parent or there might be a single parent. They can just move out to San Francisco or New York. For those who are interested in doing the career transition and they might have to do a coding bootcamp part-time, what advice do you have for them? Do it. Do it. <laughs> do it. Do done. what you got to do. Yeah. Just you know, do it. It, it, your journey, instead of taking one year, it may take two or three years. That's fine. Yeah. You know, Trust that's fine. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. And what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? My email address is IKN, mm-hmm. my initials, IKN02010 at gmail.com. My Instagram is Cosmos Iris, mm-hmm. which uh, that's C O S M O S I R I S. Yeah. I was just going to say, I know you you were getting um, a few messages a week, but, you know, by the end of this, you're going to get a lot of messages in your inbox. Yeah. I know that, right? Feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> and also my podcast is it's called The Organized Podcast. Go to Organize, Spell it which out. is O-R-G-A-N-E-Y-E-Z yeah. dot C-O. Love That's it. the website. And you can find the links to the podcast there. But essentially, we interview activists and we find out what their strategies are for being effective. So, you know, if you are an activist or you have an interest in activism, I would recommend listening to our podcast. Yeah, we're going to share it out with our our friends at San Francisco State who have a huge uh, social justice department. Uh, We love you. We love the entire organized community. And without further ado, let's break break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.